the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So a servant is one who is marked by sacrificial joy. You see, the Philippians needed to know this because their church was experiencing division. That's that's what brings us about. Due to self-centeredness, people were not joyfully sacrificing for each other. And Paul says, hey, I'm doing that for you. So you ought to do it for others. If you want real joy, real harmony in the church, a united assembly, then lay down your lives for others. Just lay down your life for others. It is rumored that Secret Service agents promised to take a bullet for the president if necessary. I have heard that that is not true, but I'm pretty sure many of them would. I don't think I would, but I wonder if I would take a bullet for Jesus. If a gunman told me to renounce my faith or die, would I have the courage to die for his name's sake? In our culture, that is an unlikely possibility. But in a different and often more difficult way, God expects us to lay down our lives for him every single day. It would be nice if we could lay them down just once at the moment of salvation. But living sacrifices have a habit of getting off the altar, don't they? Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff will be continuing his discussion of servanthood. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, where he has been serving since 1981. These daily Bible classes are an adaptation of his expository messages, brought to you by Verse by Verse Ministries. Our main text is chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. We will begin today in verse 17. We get all wrapped up in acquiring stuff. We want to live the good life. But when we do that, we get frustrated because there's always one more thing to buy, one more trip to make, one more adventure to experience. There really is only one way to an inner joy that cannot be explained by our circumstances and does not depend on what we have. Let's begin our class to learn more. Now, beginning in verse 17, Paul puts all of this aside and he puts himself, in a sense, on display. And he says, if you want to know the way a servant behaves, look at me. And then he includes Timothy. Now, he is not saying that in an arrogant way. He's not praising himself. That would be just the opposite in a passage on humility to say, hey, look at me. Like I've said many times about the person who wrote the book, Humility and How I Attained It. Paul is not. Think about that. Paul is not saying that. He is, he is not saying, hey, I've written the book. I'm the, I'm the standard in my own strength. But what he is saying is follow me as I follow Christ. What he's saying in essence is God has done a work in my heart. God is, has molded me to be something of a model for you as far as a servant. I've learned. I have been taught by the Lord, and, and I can reflect Christ, and you need to follow my example and Timothy's example. You see, it is possible to be overwhelmed by the example of Jesus Christ, to say, well, he's God. Who can possibly be humble like him? But you know what? You don't need to be overwhelmed by the example of Paul, because he was just a man. And Timothy was just a man. And if these men 
can be servants, then certainly you and I can because they're made of the same flesh that we are. So from his own life and ministry and Timothy, Paul is now going to draw out principles of servanthood. If you want to, if you want to know how to be a servant, we're going to look at that this morning. These are the qualities we need to, to see developed in, in us. Why? Because servants don't have time for bickering. Servants don't get into disagreements to the point of disharmony in the church. Servants are too busy serving others to quabble about nothing issues. Servants aren't involved in church splits and divisions. Servants just serve. So this morning we want to be very practical. We want to look at the marks or qualities of a servant. Very practical. Some of these things you've heard before. Some of these things will be new. They will all be related. There's nothing here that is astounding. It's just you get the impression that, that the Spirit of God really wants to hammer these truths home, right? We've been dealing with this for weeks and weeks now, and you might wonder when are we going to be off when the Spirit of God moves us off of it. We're just going verse by verse because this is a key issue. I was with some seminary students this week as I took a class, and I was uh, the teacher said uh, we were sitting around lunch, and the teacher asked something, and I thought it would be appropriate to share some things that I have discovered in Philippians 2. And uh, was talking about servanthood and, and not being consumed with ourselves and being interested in others. And one of the seminary students turned to me and said, that is so hard. We need to hear it. We need to hear it again. And we need to keep hearing it. You never stop and say, I've arrived at servanthood, and I don't need to hear this anymore. So let's look at the first mark. The first mark is that a servant sacrifices with joy. Sacrifices with joy. He doesn't just sacrifice, he sacrifices with joy. In verse 16, Paul has mentioned this, and I'll read the verse, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Now, we, we studied in context what that verse means two weeks ago, but I believe that when Paul mentions the term the day of Christ, he is referring to after the rapture of the church, and he stands before the Lord at the Bema seat of Christ. Bema seat is the place where God will evaluate. Christ will evaluate our works. It is not a judgment for sin. It is an evaluation of our life and our works. And Paul has mentioned this. And, and I think that when Paul mentions his term, the day of Christ, the prospect of standing before Christ, he was reminded that it might be very soon for him that he may indeed stand before the Lord very, very shortly, because remember, Paul is a prisoner in Rome. He is under house arrest, and uh, he is awaiting the government's verdict. Is he going to be uh, executed as, uh, as a criminal, or is he going to be released? At this point, he doesn't know what's going to happen. And so in verse 17, he speaks about his service for Christ in terms of, of it leading to his death. Verse 17, but even... If I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and I share my joy with you. Paul compares his experience to that of a, a priest, an Old Testament priest who would be pouring out a drink offering on the altar. They would take the they would put the animal and they would burn that animal. And then I believe it would be towards the end of the sacrifice. The priest would come with some wine and he would pour that wine out on the animal sacrifice so that it would sm there would be smoke and it would ascend and so forth. And you can picture that in your mind. Paul is, is saying, I see my life as a, as a poured out wine offering coming at the end of the sacrifice. In other words, he sees his life as, as 
being poured out, sacrificed to God in the interest of the Philippians. And he sees the, excuse me, sees the Philippian service as a sacrifice to the Lord. You see in verse 17, I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. He sees their faith as producing good works and that being the, in a sense, like the animal sacrifice. And he sees his life being poured out on top of their godly lives, their sacrifice as an act of, of worship. But his sacrifice is in the interest of the Philippians. Now, the point that Paul is making is that his life may end soon, but he can still rejoice. And notice he says in verse 17, and the key word is, I rejoice and I share my joy with you. In light of the fact that he may die soon, that he has obviously got these things on his mind because he mentions it a lot. He can still rejoice because of the Philippians' growth and spiritual development. Now, how's that for a servant? How's that for a servant? He's about to die. From his perspective, it could have been in an hour. It could have been in a few moments. Rome would have sent word, Paul, we've decided, and you are to be executed. Your head is to come off. For all he knew at this point, that could be any moment. However, he's not bitter. He's not complaining. He's not preoccupied with that. He's rejoicing. Why? Because God has used him to bring the Philippians not only to faith in Christ, but usefulness. He sees their life as a sacrifice. And look at verse 18. He's thrilled. And not only that, he says, join me in being thrilled. And you too. You Philippians, I urge you, rejoice in the same way. Share your joy with me. He's thrilled, and he wants them to be thrilled, even though he believed death to be near. And they would be sad because they love Paul so dearly. But he's saying, rejoice with me. A true servant sacrifices with joy in his heart. A true servant sacrifices life for the sake of others. He, he does it with joy. Now, I add that word with joy, not only because it's in the text, but because we need to hear it. Some people sacrifice for others, but it's not with joy. It's a chore. It's, it's obligation. <laughs> it's something that they feel that duty compels them. If they had a choice and they could look good about it, they'd never do it. It ought to be with joy and not a chore. We sing that song, there is joy in serving Jesus, and that's the truth. There ought to be. There's an acrostic that we, uh, that we often use uh, for joy. J stands for Jesus first, O stands for others second, and Y stands for yourself last. Joy. Now, why does he rejoice? Because he's more interested in the welfare of others than his own welfare. Sacrificing with joy. He's more interested in Christ being glorified than his creature comforts. And Paul had, God had worked this in his life. Paul had the mind of Christ. He had a handle on this. You see, he gave to others. He wasn't thinking about what he would lose. He was thinking about what he could give. You see, we tend to think that we'll be happy if we just get and center our lives around obtaining things for ourselves. And you know what? You will be happy, but only for a brief time until that toy wears out. The writer to the Hebrew says there, there is pleasure in sin for a season. And there is some pleasure in obtaining. We all... Uh, get happy when we get something that we like. But you know what? Oftentimes the next day we need something else, something else to sustain that. And the next week and the next week, and there are people who go through things because they're looking for happiness and they go from one thing to another. But, and you will be happy, but for the moment, it doesn't last. But joy is lasting. Joy is always, joy comes as a result of sacrificing and giving to others. 
Happiness comes very briefly because of getting. Joy comes and it lasts because of giving. Rejoice because of giving. The best thing you can give is yourself. The best thing you can give is yourself. Some people don't realize that. And they substitute all kinds of things. But 1 John 3.16 says that if we love the brethren, we lay down our lives for them. The best thing you can give is yourself. And that's what Paul did. So a servant is one who is marked by sacrificial joy. You see, the Philippians needed to know this because their church was experiencing division. That's, that's what brings us about. Due to self-centeredness, people were not joyfully sacrificing for each other. And Paul says, hey, I'm doing that for you. So you ought to do it for others. If you want real joy, real harmony in the church, a united assembly, then lay down your lives for others. Just lay down your life for others. I know it sounds backwards, but the only way to have joy is in serving others. I have observed that the people I know who are the happiest, the most stable and joyful, are the people who have servants' hearts. Serving ourselves always leads to frustration, but serving others is pretty much always satisfying. We are going to take a short break here to greet those of you who just tuned in. It's nice to have you here for another daily radio Bible class. You are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. And these broadcasts are an extension of his preaching ministry. Our theme for the past few weeks has been church unity. One essential ingredient to that unity is servant attitudes among the believers. One mark of servanthood, as we have just seen, is joy. People do not serve because they are joyful. They are joyful because they serve. Let's rejoin Pastor Steve now to see yet another evidence of servanthood. Secondly, a, a servant is marked not only by sacrificial joy, but he's marked by sensitivity. Let's look at verse 19. Sensitivity. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Paul mentions that he plans to send Timothy to the Philippians. Why? Because he's concerned about them. He wants to know about them. He wants to know about their condition so he could be of help to them. He could pray more intelligently. Perhaps he was even thinking of writing a letter, another letter. He didn't, but perhaps he was thinking about that. Maybe he uh, he's thinking, <coughs> when I get out of here, I want to visit that. Whatever. You see, that's the mark of a servant. A, a servant is one who, in spite of all the problems that he has, He's sensitive to the needs of others. This is so practical. This is where most of us struggle. We are overwhelmed with our own problems. The seminary student who said to me recently, it is so hard uh, about being a servant, was really saying, I am so overwhelmed with my life and the pressures and the problems of my life. It is hard to think about others. This is where most of us struggle. Let's look at Paul's situation. He's a prisoner. Death is on his mind. He's got problems with jealous believers back at Rome. Remember um, Philippians 1, verse 15? Some, to be sure, some he means some in the area in Rome, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. Verse 17, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. They looked at, at, at Paul's arrival, and they thought that, hey, We've got, to, we've got to be out there witnessing and win more people to the Lord than Paul, and, and we've got to get, gain the people's popularity and the people's appreciation, and uh, now everybody's thinking of Paul as this great guy in prison, and, and we've got to win this back. To them, 
It was a contest. So Paul's got death on his mind. He's, he's a prisoner. He's chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. He's got problems with jealous brethren who look to make his time in prison even more stressful. But he's not preoccupied with himself. He's got pressures that you and I don't know about. I mean, sometimes our, our weighty pressures are how are we going to drive on US-19 and survive? Paul's got some big problems facing him. We've got to keep that in perspective. And I realize that many of us are going through very pressured times, far more than U.S. 19. But I'm saying it's a matter of perspective. He's not preoccupied with his own needs. He's focusing on their needs. He says, look, I'm interested in you. I'm even going to give you my best man. I'm sending Timothy to you. And Timothy is going to, is going to help you. I think that's the tremendous mark of a servant. And that is the mark of being like Jesus Christ. Would you look at John chapter 13? I want to show you something because that is the way all true servants are. True servants are sensitive and thoughtful to the needs of others, especially when everything in their life is falling apart. See, all of us can take an interest when things are going well in our own lives. That's not too difficult, but it is hard when nothing is going right for you and you would just love for somebody to take an interest in you. And that's the struggle we face. Hey, listen to me. I've got to tell you my problems. That's that's where most of us are at. In fact, that's where all of us are at. And we struggle with that. But I want to show you how, how Jesus behaved. In John chapter 13, verse 1, we read, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, the context is this. Jesus is God, and so he knows everything. And he knows that by the next day he's going to be hanging on a cross. He knows that. I mean, imagine knowing your death. Imagine knowing when you would die. That would be a frightful thing, I would think. But he knows. He has known from all of eternity this moment, and now it's the next day. Now, you would expect someone who knows that they're going to die the next day. If you were told you're going to be executed tomorrow, uh, probably your thoughts would be about yourself. You would expect someone who knows that their death would be tomorrow would be preoccupied with thoughts about himself because in suffering we all tend to think about ourselves that's the natural reaction but notice what christ is, is thinking about not himself but his disciples because this verse says having loved his own who are in the world he loved them to the end now in your english bibles you might get the thought that he loved them to the end of his life uh, that is not really the the thrust of the greek word end it, it is the uh, word uh, that's related to teleos, and it means completely, uh, fully. In other words, he loved them to the uttermost. He, he loved them with everything he was capable of loving them with. It's not that he loved them right up to the final moments and then he stopped loving them. No, it's right up. Even, even before his death, he loved them with everything he had. He loved them completely. That's the thought. So what did he do? He spent his last night not, not uh, telling them, uh, or not thinking about himself, but he spent his last night telling them church-age truths, which we call the upper room discourse or the farewell address. That's John chapter 13, uh, 14, 15, and 16. That's what he spent his night doing because he loved them completely. He told them the truths they would need to have for the church age. Tremendous, tremendous truth that he was He, he didn't say, excuse me, and uh, I really can't be around you anymore. Uh, I've got to think about myself. Now, this isn't the only time Christ thought of others when he was suffering and facing death. Look at John chapter 18. And throughout John's gospel, we see this because John exalts Jesus as God. That's the emphasis of John's uh, gospel. 
And so he is exalting uh, the deity aspect of Jesus and the wonderful way in which he thought of others sort of highlights that. John 18, verse 8. Jesus, now the context is this, he's about, he, he's coming, uh, he is, a, he's arrested, he's on the verge of being arrested. The Romans and the Jewish people have come out to arrest him in, in the garden. And in verse 8, Jesus answered after he said, whom do you seek? And he said, Jesus, the, uh, the Nazarene, they answered. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. He's thinking about them. He's thinking about his disciples. If it's, in other words, if it's me you've come to arrest, then let these go their way. You have no need for them. Now, that is a marvelous truth and insight into the person of Christ. He's about to be arrested, and yet he doesn't lose his, his sense of concern and sensitivity to these men around them who at this point must have been uh, trembling in their sandals. Not only that, John 19, most appropriate uh, passage from Mother's Day, John 19, verse 26 and 27, while on the cross, he's thinking about his mother, Mary. Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. He is not saying, woman, look up here. What he is saying is, woman, look at John, because from this point on, John is going to take you in and he'll be to you like a son. He is your son. And then he said to the disciple, meaning John, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his household. He's on the cross, and he's still thinking about others. In addition to that, remember the, the thief who repented on the cross, and Jesus said what? Even was concerned about him to say, this day you'll be with me in paradise. You see, that is the mark of a servant. A servant thinks about others even when their own life is falling apart. And the point that we need to see is that Paul is like this, and we need to be like this. Servants is sensitive. Are you that way? Are you thoughtful about others, concerned about other people, even when your own world is, is having problems? I tell you, it is easy to get wrapped up in your, in your world, and I have faced that in my own life. It, uh, the Lord just uh, about two weeks ago deeply convicted me, my lack of involvement with my family and just asking them how they are. I've been wrapped up not only in the ministry, but uh, a lot of schoolwork and article due, things like that. A very difficult time in terms of pressure and, and not enough time. And it's very easy like that to lose sight of the fact that uh, children uh, have important things they need to say. And a wife has important things she needs to say. And you see, a servant is marked by thoughtfulness. He or she doesn't just think about themselves. If anyone would have cause to be consumed with their own problems, it would probably be Nick Wojcik. An Australian and the son of a pastor, Nick was born in 1982 with no arms or legs. He struggled with depression due to the way other students treated him, wondering why, if God really loved him, was he born this way? Then, when he was 15, he read the story in John chapter 9 about the man who was born blind so that the works of God would be revealed through him. At that point, Nick accepted Christ, and now he says his number one passion is for souls. He travels all over the world witnessing, challenging, and motivating. He is a joyful, sensitive person because he is focused on the needs of others, especially their spiritual needs. If Nick can be joyful and sensitive without limbs, we should be able to as well. Thank you for tuning in today to Verse by Verse. 
Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is taking us one verse at a time through the second chapter of Philippians. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We at Verse by Verse Ministries are glad to have the privilege of making his teachings available to you through this great station. We are a faith ministry supported by the gifts and prayers of interested listeners like you. You can find us on the web at versebyverseradio.org. We have today's program available there as well as many previous ones. That's versebyverseradio.org. You can also order a CD with the entire message from which today's class was taken. Just call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number and we will call you back during regular office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. Closely related to sensitivity is a concern for others. Nick Wojcik is quite an example of that as he works through his own challenges in order to share the gospel with people who need the Lord. How concerned are we for the needs of others? Servants are made, not born, so how can we develop a servant's heart? This is Peter Silseth. We will think about that on the next Verse by Verse. We are here to give you strength between Sundays. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.